what a joy to worship a Savior that's alive. <laughs> and he speaks. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And I come to you in weakness this morning, just trusting in the help of the Spirit to show us what Paul is trying to say. And without his help this morning, we can't see. But after such encouragement, we have such a, a hope ahead of us. And I'm trusting that as we grasp what God has for us, our lives will never be the same again. Let's read from Philippians chapter 3. I'd love us to read from verse 1, and then we'll round it off to verse 11, just so that we can see where we are, because Paul is using a very tight, close argument, a very tight, close reasoning that helps us kind of delve into what he is trying to teach us. Verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've entitled this morning's message, Gaining Christ. Or you could say gaining more of Christ. And I want to remind us of how Philippians is so helpful for us. It is a book that trains believers how to finish well. Friends, I want to remind you there is a finish line. It is called the resurrection. And the very last verse of Paul's writing in this section talks about one day we are going to be resurrected and stand before Jesus. And he doesn't just use the normal word for resurrection. It says ex-anastasis, which means resurrection plus. He wants to not just get there. He wants to get there with glory. He wants to have something to show for his life of walking with Jesus. And that's what he's interested in. He wants to walk with Christ as much as he can. 
and achieve the life that God has for him through fellowship with Jesus. And he says, if you're going to enter into this life of walking with Christ, you are going to have to guard your joy of his sufficiency in all seasons, in all states of your soul, that Christ is enough for you always. And we call that the glory of this good news of Jesus, the gospel. We live in it every day. We're going to look at that again. Paul is coming from it at another angle. But he says, guys, you have to be careful because it's not the only gospel inverted commas out there. There are false teachers that are going to lead you away from Christ. And you better be careful what you listen to and believe. And he says, because there are marks of the true believer that, that, that must be manifested. He talks about the true Christian. And one of them is a true Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. Nothing in human capacity to stand before the presence of God. And Paul has to unpack that statement in verse after verse because for you and me, the most difficult thing to believe is that Christ is really enough. The most difficult thing for you and me to believe is that we have to try and add something to Jesus. It's called confidence in the flesh to help us get close to God. But Jesus is saying through Paul here in the Spirit, no, no, I am enough. And so Paul starts to talk about his own life to persuade us this morning. He shares his testimony of how he had to consider all those things he looked to to stand with confidence in the presence of God as rubbish. That's a strong word, right? Rubbish. And he says... He realized in that moment when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, a supernatural encounter with Jesus, that all this time of him putting his confidence in the flesh, rather than helping him, blocked any progress or need for Christ. It is that serious to Paul. I just want you to take that in. Any confidence in himself that he played to blocked a need and a coming to Jesus. And so he said, when I became a believer, it was just the start. I had to see with eyes of clear faith that all of me playing to myself blocked the very person I needed, Christ. And so it wasn't just a moment where I considered all else lost for the sake of Christ. He says, right now, indeed, I count everything as lost in verse 8. Do you, my friends? Because Paul realized that if putting confidence in the flesh hindered him back then, blocked his need for Jesus or seeing Christ, nothing's changed now. The more he played to himself before God, the more it blocked his progress and joy in Jesus. And he said, if the same was true for the moment I came to faith in Christ, how much more now, church, now that I live by faith in Christ? that I accept that what was lost then is lost now. Nothing's changed. And what Paul is wanting for us, he'll be building on last week, what Paul is wanting us is to enter into the glory of not just knowing you are saved. He wants us to enter into the glory of knowing the one who saved us. There is a great difference. You see, Christ is not an insurance policy. Christ is a person. And Paul said, if one glimpse of this person brought me such life and joy and peace before God, how much more me getting to know him more? How much more my life 
being an investigation of all the heights and depths and breadths of this Christ who has brought such wonder and goodness from God the Father into my life. I cannot settle for what I've tasted. I want to know him more because of the surpassing worth of the glory. Every time I taste him, my heart explodes towards God, and I can't stop with just one taste. I need more. I need more. I need Christ to be in me, Christ to speak through me, Christ to see me in the way I see myself, to be the way he sees me. Everything about Jesus he wants to immerse himself into. And he has realized the only way he can get more of Christ is when he leaves all of himself. Now, church, this is a glorious invitation to live for the one who made you. (laughs) This is a glorious pulling in of God this morning to say, see what I have made you for. It is the very Son of God. It is the glory of Jesus. And the more Paul finds Christ, the more he feels satisfied as to what life is all about. And Paul is being very practical here. I'm trusting that God is going to help us because it is a subtle thing. Paul says there's only two ways you can try and walk with God. Only two ways you can try and relate to God. It is a very powerful statement he's making here in verse 9. He says this. He recognizes if he's going to gain Christ in his experience... He cannot have a righteousness of his own. That's verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is saying you have to decide in your life which way you're going to try and get close to God through. And they are diametrically opposed to each other. One is trying to establish your own confidence. We call it righteousness in and of yourself through law-keeping, which I'll explain in a moment. Or the radical belief in the gospel. It, It is radical. That Christ is enough. And what Paul means by that is he's saying that you, when you put your faith in Jesus, are not producing any righteousness of your own before God, but rather, he says, it is a righteousness from God himself. That depends on faith. It is a righteousness given to you totally outside of yourself. And which you choose to play to will determine how far, first of all, whether you'll become a Christian. That was Paul's experience. But secondly, how far you're going to go in your Christian walk to achieve what God has made you for, which is in Christ. Now, let's unpack what we can know. And I'm, I'm trusting, Lord, help us here. This is a subtle thing we play to. It's a righteousness of our own through law-keeping. Paul says, I do not want to have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What Paul is talking about here is how you are wired as a human being, every single human being, after the fall. When sin came into this world, it did something, it twisted something in you, which is the fundamental lie that through your own efforts, you will be able to get back to God. That's what sin is. It is actually the exaltation of self. I myself can do certain things, say certain things, pray in a certain way, in such a way 
that I can get confidence in God off the back of my efforts. And the way we evaluate that effort is called law. The way that we decide whether we're getting something right or whether we're getting something wrong is through law. Now, we have our own personal laws. I'll get to that in a moment. So it's a bit different to everybody else around us. But Paul is talking about the law of Moses. And, and we need to push pause here for a moment and, and just recognize, as a society, we think legally. So let's say, for instance, someone does something against you and you want to take them to court. You have to prove that that person is wrong through what? By appealing to the law. You have to defend yourself by appealing to the law. And so the way we as a society think, which is actually common grace, is that we are able to discern what is right and what is wrong through a legal code. What is in other words, good or bad, what is acceptable behavior, what is not, what is righteous versus what is unrighteous. We determine that through law. National law, moral inside. Now, the kind of law that Paul is talking about here is the law that Israel received on Mount Sinai. It was the law given through Moses. And I just need you to give me your best attention. I know I'm, I'm diving a bit deep here, but it's important for us to see that the journey of Scripture, of what Paul is talking about, is through the law that was given to Israel, God was telling Israel what he considered right and wrong. In other words, God was revealing his righteousness. Are you with me? Now, it was a foreshadow. It wasn't perfect because Christ becomes the perfect picture of God's righteousness, but it was a start. And so the, the Jews knew what was right before God as a nation and what was wrong based on the law. But you see, this is where the tricky part comes in and the part that we can miss. Please listen here. <laughs> Although the law was the means by which God revealed his righteousness to the nation. It could never be the source of righteousness for the nation. Do you know why? Because they could never keep it. Okay? What delivered Israel from God's righteous judgment? Do you know? What delivered Israel when the righteous judgment of God passed over Egypt, the angel of death? What did they have to run to to be rescued from God's righteous judgment? It was the blood of the Passover lamb. That's right. They had to trust in an atoning work of something else in order for them to pass through the judgment of God against their sin. Right from the very start, before the law was even given, Israel was delivered from the judgment of sin based on the atoning work of the blood of the Lamb. You with me? And so although the law was telling what was right and wrong, they were not qualified to try and keep it by keeping it. They were set up by trusting. Their righteousness was established. Their covenant was established by the blood of the Lamb. And friends, that is the joy of what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, guys, Israel, you were meant, even in the law, 
You could not approach the presence of God without the shedding of blood. Goodness me, if you had to say sorry for your sin, like Cheryl was saying, I mean, uh, could I quickly, uh, come on, come on, Lindsay, I'm going to quickly use you. Let's say Lindsay wanted to ask for forgiveness of sin. She would have a little bocky, and my goodness me, it was a big moment. You couldn't just come and say, Lord Jesus, please, oh, I didn't know Jesus. God, uh, Yahweh, would you please forgive me of my sin? You're a goat farmer, right? Yes, she is. So she would have a little goat, and she'll be, bring the goat, and she would come to me, the priest, and she would say, I, I've sinned. I, I need a, a sin offering, a burnt offering. And you know what she'd have to, have to do? She'd have to put her hand on the head of the goat, take a knife, and then slit its throat. And then the thing would, it would die. Praise God. I mean, I don't know how I would have survived. And, and there, I would take as the priest, I would take the hyssop, I'd take the blood. F, F, blood everywhere. It was disgusting. Thank you, Lindsay. And then she would be able to say, I feel forgiven because of blood. Because this righteous standing before God is because of blood. And even the day of atonement, when one man on one moment, one day of the year, could go into the presence of God, he could not approach God's righteousness without there being blood. Blood. And Paul said that was the great loss of Israel. They thought what God had given them as a means of revealing his righteousness by keeping it could be the source of their righteousness. And Paul said it could never be. And we know that. Because, friends, this is what playing to your own effort before God does. When Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Abraham to be received by faith, the anointed Passover lamb arrived in Israel, what did the Pharisees do to him? Did they say, this is the glorious Savior? These people that kept the law so perfectly, even mint and dill and cumin, all the little tires and all these little things that they did so brilliantly in trying to uh, uh, keep the law. Friends, when they saw Christ, did they embrace him by faith? They crucified him. And we just have to stop for a moment and say, that is what confidence in the flesh will do towards Christ. And some of you might be sitting here, where is this guy going this morning? Can I say to you, I am trying to help you see how Paul, through the Spirit, is teaching us that when we play to the flesh, my friends, Christ becomes crucified to us. You know, the damage of playing to the flesh is making you think you can live this life without trusting and living close to Jesus alone. That's what it does. And friends... We are no different by nature to those Israelites. You know, I know we've gone over this week by week, but it is so important because it's so hard to see. These Israelites tried to establish their own righteousness before God, their own confidence before God's presence through their human law-keeping. But friends, we do the same. We, we just might not know the law of Moses, but we certainly have some sort of code of confidence in our lives. I am shocked. After 13 years of full-time ministry, in whatever form, how deep the answer to the question, 
if you had to stand before the presence of God today, why should he let you in? I am shocked at how often, almost 95% of the time, people say, because I try to be a good person. How are you evaluating that goodness? It's through law. You are looking at your life and saying, I am keeping these things which are righteous in God's eyes, more than not keeping those things which are unrighteous in God's eyes. Therefore, if you tally it up like a math sum, God must think something of me because, forget about Christ, because I am doing enough to feel confident to stand before God one day. But the problem that you have, and it comes to almost every single time, when you say, because I try to be a good person, nobody says to me, I am a good person. Now, don't you find that interesting? Do you know why you can't say, I am a good person? Because if you really put it to the litmus test, you're left wanting, friends. And what we tend to do is, and that's all that religion is, man-made religion, it is the attempt of the human heart to keep a code of confidence so that one day we might be able to stand before God based on a righteousness established by our effort. And Paul says, that is the very thing that militates against Christ. And that is what had to break in Paul for him to receive Christ. He had to see it as rubbish. And you know what Paul says? Guys, this wasn't just for me when I came to Christ. It was as a believer, day in and day out, I've had to walk a journey of learning whatever I play to in myself as confidence in the presence of God. It, it robs me of Jesus. And I've had to learn to say, this is rubbish that I stand before God based on anything in me. I've come to a radical total acceptance of the sufficiency of Christ. And friends, he says, I'm sharing this with you because you as a Christian have the same problem. You met Jesus, yes, one day. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was 10 years ago. But he said, do you understand that how you met Jesus is the continual work of the Spirit in your life, making you uncoupled from things that kept you from Christ? And what tends to happen, church, is this, is we fight God on it. Paul says, I had to suffer the loss of all things. Do you know how painful that is? What he said was, anything challenging the sufficiency of Christ was a target practice for the mercy of God. God went straight for that. When I felt I was keeping myself by the law, the 10th commandment hit me, thou shalt not covet. Paul had no control over the power of the appetites of his hearts. God got him. He knew that as he was trying to set himself up, so God was setting him up to find Christ alone. And some of us here are resisting God. You know, there's something amongst pastors that is called the blessed subtraction. Sometimes they talk about that in people. <laughs> but I want to say to you, in your life, there is such a thing as a blessed subtraction in the Lord. And Paul could say, your will be done, Lord. I embrace it because as you enforce this learning in my life, so I see what it leads me to, the abundant life. These things kept me in the rubbish heap. You know, if you hold on to rubbish, where will you most likely find it? Right? In the refuge dump. When I found Christ, oh my word, I found glory. Glory. Now, this is the beauty 
of us being challenged this morning to lean on Christ alone. Can I ask you this morning, what makes you confident that God's hearing your prayers as you prayed it? What makes you confident this morning as you worship God, that he's receiving your worship, that one day you'll be in heaven? What comes to your mind when you think about the day when you will be resurrected before the Son of God? I I will tell you what some people have told me and what I've told myself. I'm trying to be a good person. I've spoken about that one. I pray before going to bed at night. I read the verse of the day. I listen to worship music and particularly Link of Him. I attend certain places and meetings very regularly. I don't do certain things like swearing or drinking or smoking. And I put in a good day's work. And because of these things, God must think something of me. Can I say to you today, to the Christian, to the Christian, it is rubbish. You see, those things are good, but they cannot be your confidence before God. That's the difference. And if you are using them as a means of satiating a sense of security in your life, there is more for you to see in Jesus than what you've done at the start. You with me? So let's look at the positive. A righteousness from God by faith in Jesus. That's the second one. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. No, no. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. Not me, the righteousness given to me as a gift. Not that I'm producing, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And what Paul is talking about here is the gospel, my friend. And it will set you free the more you believe it. Set you free for something. That's two weeks' time. But this is it. You cannot be your own source of righteousness, ever. God has to be. And you need to know the difference. There is a righteousness that you're trying to work up inside of yourself, or there is a righteousness that you have received by grace through faith. And you flow with that righteousness, but you never replace it, and you never have to perfect it. And and friends, that righteousness that you receive It depends on faith. What that means is there is saving faith. The moment that you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you see him as your only hope, friends, in that moment, you have received all of Christ's righteousness from God by grace through faith. You have received every ounce of Jesus. All that he is, it's yours. And you've received it as an objective fact. That's why Paul can open up in verse 1 of 1 of Philippians. He says, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. They are there already. But, although it is true as an objective fact, and that means the moment you came to faith in Christ, this is what happened. You became immersed in Jesus. You became covered by Jesus. You became fused to Jesus so that all that he is becomes yours. 
all of his perfect righteousness he achieved, you are fused to forever. That happened through your new birth, that when you were born again, you were born again as a new creation, and you were put in Christ. Are you with me? That's an objective fact. Can you just nod your head if you've got that? Okay? But what Paul is saying here is, although that is an objective fact, that is not necessarily true yet in your daily experience, not so. I mean, if you had to ask me honestly, Matt, do you feel this glorious resurrection of Jesus in you and you are fused to his righteousness and now you have all of this access to his throne of grace and every day, all day, you are rejoicing and everything's perfect and kumbaya, we're going to heaven. Is that the true experience of your life? No. In actual fact, I'm realizing how little I know and how powerfully God wants to come into every corner of my life and grace it with Jesus. And my job is to work with him, but praise God, I'm not working for it. My job is to flow with him in my experience of my day, but it is because of an objective fact of who I am in that I am qualified to taste and to see it all day and every day. And, and friends, it's like this. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus as an objective fact, he is all yours. And I can explain it like this. Any of you ever have blackout curtains in your, in your room? How many of you don't like the, the early morning light coming in too early? Anybody have those in their room? <laughs> so in other words, you can be fast asleep at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, but you don't want to know and experience it's morning yet, right? You can lie there and go, as an objective fact, oh, the alarm clock's telling me the sun is up. It's true whether I see it or not. It's true whether I feel it or not. It is a fact. The sun has dawned. But there is a great difference to knowing that fact to opening the curtains and beholding the glory of that dawn and the beauty of all the radiance of lights and tints of color and clouds. So you can say, yes, I knew the sunrise happened this morning, verse I have seen the sunrise. I've seen it in all of its glory. There is a great difference. And what Paul is nudging us onto is saying, guys, objectively, you are in Christ. You know that the new life has dawned in your life. But now open the curtains. Gaze into the glory of this Jesus Christ. And begin to experience him in your everyday life. You know, it's also a bit like marriage. I was thinking this morning. You, you say yes to this person. You think you know. And forgive those who are not quite there. You know, but that's how I felt with Marina. I mean, she came down this aisle. I stood at this very spot going, Aha! I found the perfect woman. And then I realized, I thought I knew her. Now I know her. And I'm still learning what she likes, and what she does not like. How to be close to this person that I am fused to by the Spirit. You get it? Now, if we are going to experience Christ more and more, and I'm emphasizing experience, then we must persist in the first way that we got him 
which is we have to leave these games of trying to get ourselves into a place of feeling confidence before the presence of God based on something that we are doing or that we are feeling. Rather, Paul says, the more you run to Christ and you trust in him alone, the more he opens up to you and you begin to see the glory of this person who saved you. The more you play to these games, the more you live in the shadows. The more you go to Christ, leaving the shadows for his glorious sufficiency, the more you get to see the wonder of Jesus. And it's established, it's, it's, it's expressed in that hymn. It's beautiful. You know, it's, I build my life on nothing less than Jesus' blood and, oh, I do not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And this is a Christian who has walked with God for many years. And this is where I want to help us land today with one more point of application. Is there was a day when you exercised saving faith in Jesus Christ alone for your sin? might not have been a glorious one moment. It might have been a period of your life. But there was a day you came to saving faith in Jesus. What Paul is calling for is what he says in Colossians. He says, as you received Christ Jesus, which was total dependence on him, so now walk in him. And what he's talking about is the difference between saving faith and persistent faith. He says, you were born again by this wonderful gift of faith that you exercised in Christ. But now you go on relating to Jesus the same way you got in the first time. You walk in a radical belief that Christ at my best and Christ at my worst is enough for me. Christ, when I feel successful spiritually, Christ, when I feel like a failure spiritually, is enough for me. Christ, when the quality of my faith is full of confidence, Christ, when my quality of my faith is full of doubt or unbelief, He is enough, and I believe it all day, every day, and I believe it so radically that nothing will move me from rejoicing in it, nothing will move me from doubting it, everything coming into my life is shaped by it. There is nothing in my life that I will not attach to the sufficiency of Jesus. Are you with me? You got to pray like this, church. You got to worship like this. You got to preach to yourself like this. When you when you see a Christian brother or sister coming to you and they're struggling, and you can see that they're falling into a space of condemnation and fear and 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 and, and a lack of confidence before God, you don't say, "Oh no, no, come do these few things first. You tell them before you tell them to do anything. You say, "My friend, have you forgotten the gospel?" Have you forgotten what Christ has done? Let me just remind you what we need to remember today is that Christ is enough to keep us always. And because of that, the throne of grace is open, my friend. You are not struggling to have this relationship with God. Rather, he is lifting you up with his faithfulness every single day. And that's actually the Greek. When it talks about um, not putting, uh, it says here, it says, uh, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. 
it talks about, it's not actually faith in Christ. It's called the faithfulness of Jesus or the faith of Christ. You will feel his sufficiency at all times, giving you this foundation of confidence in the presence of God. And the more you live from that place alone, the more Jesus is real to you. And why does that matter? I've just got a six few statements. <laughs> Ali's laughing at me. There will be few. Why should you not play to the flesh ever in your walk with Jesus? Well, the first is that it will never bring you close to God. Some of you have said, I want a close walk with Jesus. I want to know him. Friends, unless you feel the full acceptance of the blood of Christ and the unconditional love of the Father sealed on you by the Spirit, you will never fully feel faith, feel safe to come fully into his presence. I lived for years this far from God in my experience because I did not yet fully believe how close the blood of Christ brought me to the heart of the Father. And if you wanted to walk close with God, this is the way to do it, my friends, is at your best and worst, you are experiencing the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus because he's enough for you. I'll never forget reading Mount Sinai when there was the thunder and, and glory on that mountain and there the Israelites heard God's voice say, come up. Did they all go up? Let me tell you, they ran away. Why? They sent Moses up to go before them. Clever people. They needed a mediator. Because when you see the naked glory and fear of the Lord, it is only the beginning of wisdom. Why? It's the beginning of wisdom because it teaches you not to, to consider careless this great opportunity to know God. But friends, unless you see how he has provided for you to come towards him, that he's actually drawing you in through Jesus, and that he is, his heart is to see you, you walk with him, talk with him, share every moment and weakness of your life with him until he becomes that place of trust. You will not know him the way he's brought you to know him. His voice will become a voice of one that you can trust and yield to because you know this God has saved me and made me acceptable radically through the body and blood of Jesus. He loves me, and he loves me as a son, not a servant. The second is you experience peace that surpasses all understanding. In my own life and yours, we know the paradox of saying, I believe in the Prince of Peace, but not experiencing it much in our lives. And you know why there's a discrepancy is because we are not yet joining how radical we have rest before God outside of how well things are going or not. Is there is a place of enjoying peace with God through the sufficiency of Jesus. And this, was, this, is, this, this matters because it makes us sensitive to the Spirit. It settles us. We can forgive ourselves. We can forgive those around us. We are invited to a place of peace. Do you know that peace this morning? It enables radical rejoicing. And that means it's because the source is not coming from how well you're doing. It's coming from how perfectly well Christ has done. And some of us have lost our joy. Some of us have made this a law. And the result of law is you'll have no love for God. You know what the result of following law is? Resentment. Pressure. Some of us get to enjoy what it means to rejoice in Jesus. 
in a fresh way as we see what he has done for us. It will deliver you from spiritual depression. This way of relating to God, it keeps us spiritually stable. Because Christ's righteousness is unchanging, you have a sense of an unchanging source of foundation in your life. And when difficulties come or failure hits, you feel so supplied in Jesus that you can stand. It also leads us to deep humility and dependency on Christ. Some have wondered, if I live this way, trusting in Christ's sufficiency alone, will I not just abuse him? Will I not just you know, use him for my own comforts? Let me tell you, when you see how much you need Jesus every day, you start to live your life as though you can do nothing without him. And that's why it matters, because Paul is about to talk in two weeks. I've invited my friend Niels to preach. He's lived this verse. I said to him, if there's a verse that I, I struggle with in Philippians, is verse 10 going into verse 11. But friends, it leads you to a life of obedience and reward. The only way you are going to achieve God's will for your life, it is not by law. You know what Paul says of the law? It's too low for you. The only way you are going to enter into what God has for your life is to walk with Jesus. It's to draw close to him and listen to the promptings of the Spirit that flow from a life that can live close to him. When things are going well or not, when you're feeling good or not, when you're feeling successful, that, my friend, sets us up. There is a response. We must do that voice. But the only way we get to enjoy and trust that voice in our lives and live close to it is when we believe Christ is enough. Do you believe that this morning? Will you believe that when you leave this place and go have a nice cup of coffee? Will you believe that when you're going to lose your temper with your kids outside the door? Will you believe that when you do get anxious when the paycheck comes in and you see already it's gone because of what's waiting? Will you do that when you look at your life's future and you look at our country and you go, oh my goodness? Will you do that so radically that every moment of every day you are attaching your confidence in who Christ is? Friends, when you start doing that, you'll start to see how much there is of Jesus to experience. Let's pray. I'm going to just give you a moment to ponder this morning's message. The right response is faith, not fear. The right response is faith, not familiarity. How much do you want Jesus this morning? He's there for the taking. But you've got to take it the first, the way you, you took him the first time. Saying to him, you're enough for me. And I'm going to live like it. Father, I pray for surprises in this room. 
I pray for the surprise of seeing how close Christ can really be. I pray for the surprise of seeing righteousness flow in our lives by trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. I pray today that as a church, we would grow in our glory in Christ alone. Not as a statement of the past, but as a mandate for the present and peace for the future. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen. Go enjoy the Lord's. We'll see you on Sunday.